So we've been uh, storing through or going through Acts uh, chapter, or last week we we're in chapter 9. Can anybody remember what happened last week uh, at the end of chapter 9 in Acts? You can cheat by looking at your Bible if you uh, don't, don't remember off the top of your head. Anybody remember, though, what was happening there? Um, story of two people, and I'll just give you this. Peter was involved. Tabitha, okay, also named Dorcas, right? That was another way to say her name. She was brought back to life. Uh-huh. She was brought back to life. What else? Mm-hmm. Peter healed uh, a layman named Aeneas. Um, and so we, we saw both of those. And the question that we, we were asking last week is both like seeing in Peter, what happened in Peter was him doing the things that Jesus did, right? He got to be discipled by Jesus. That's what a disciple is. They, they see, they learn, they're with them. They learn to be like them. And ultimately they, they live like them, right? Like that's our goal. And if we see that even modeled out in Peter's life. So the question is, how can we be like Jesus for the lost, the last, the least, and the lonely? How can we be like him? What, what would it look like for us to do that, right? What would it look like for us what could it be healing and, and doing miraculous things as Peter did? Absolutely, I think. I think it can also be that we are living everyday life and loving people and that we can bring the kingdom wherever we live, work, and play and share and show the good news. Like we were sent ones, right? The reminder from last week is that God is a missionary God and that he is up to something and that we get to invite people into what God is doing in and through us. Right? That God sent Peter into those. Sent God, God sent people uh, into the world. God sent his son into the world to save us. And now he sent us as a people like him. Right? Again, we're following that same imagery. To be like him and make more disciples like him. So that's true even to today. He's still on mission. And we see that again and again. And this highlights God's timing in mission. That's what we're going to look at today is that God is on mission, but then God has his own timing in mission, right? We might call that his providence, God's providence. A way to describe that would be God's plan and interaction with his creation, his ability to interact with us, like his ability to say, I'm going to come in and interact with you. And when that happens, like he chooses that. We don't get to choose that, right? He's the one that has providence and oversees all that. Providence is God's ability or God's activity through history in providing the, for the needs of human beings, especially those who follow him in faith. Providence occurs because God cares about the universe and everything in it. All through the centuries of human existence, there have been those who took great comfort in the fact of God's providence. God's in charge over everything. God, God's timing is perfect in everything. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. Often, you can even read the biblical story and think like, wait, God, this is the time you ought to show up, right? Um, Hansel like I, and I have, I've said we were at uh, um, Soma school a couple weeks ago and going through the story of God and here are the story of, of, of Adam and Eve in the garden and for the first time I ever thought this while thinking while hearing the story of Adam and Eve in the garden I asked the question God where were you when they were being tempted it was the first time to think of it, it as like God shows up after the fact hey God you in your timing could have been there when the serpent was there, why weren't you there then? 
and I can be mad at it and go like, God, I don't like that. And it does cause like, it does cause like, oh God, why not? But I trust God's timing and providence. There's a reason why that is. It's a great question, but it's also a reason why that is, right? It, realize, it means realizing at certain places in life that God has been there before. It is evidence that God has not left us on this planet alone. His providence uh, it, it shows us that we are not alone in this vast universe or forgotten for a moment. He's not forgotten what we're going through. It might feel like, God, I don't see you right now. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm sure following that, Adam and Eve, like I'm the, some of the questions were like, hey, I mean, they immediately pointed the finger at each other, right? But there had to be like, God, where, you, where, where, where were you at? Now, here's the other reality of that. If you're questioning, okay, I don't want to, like, I'm not causing you to, hope, hopefully you question that and realize God was there. God had given them all they needed to know, right? God said, don't do this. That's all they needed to know. So it's not that God wasn't right and all of a sudden he was like, God already said, don't do this. So he could leave them. He could be away from them because he said, I'm already protecting you. He's already, again, his providence was already there saying like, you don't need to do this. There's another way. His way is right. And so I just tell you that as we look into that, where, where um, we think about this, that God visits, touches, communicates, controls, and intervenes, coming before and between man and his needs. This is providence. Providence is ground for our, thank, is ground for our thankfulness. Like we should be thankful for his providence, for his timing, for his provision in our life, that he is there when we need him, right? This is a great even season timing with coming up to Thanksgiving that we think, God, your timing, though it seems like I don't understand it sometimes or why or how or what, I'm trusting in that. That there's nothing that's happening out of your timing, out of your uh, making it happen. All right, so this is what I want us to do real quick. This will cause a little interaction between us. Where have we seen God's providence or timing in the story of God? Uh, uh, Sada, I think we have the slide for the, the, the six acts of the story. Uh, Stand there. Whew. Creation, rebellion, promise, redemption, the church, and restoration. If you were to think back, we'll start in creation. Where do we see God's providence or timing in the story of God? I'm not going to answer these for you, so you're going to have to think about it. Where do we see God's timing in creation? His hand in creation. Where do we see that? Huh? In the very beginning, right? He just says in the beginning. He starts it all. He's like, here, I, was, I was already here, but here's the beginning. His timing and how that happens. How does he even choose to create, right? If you even think of that. He gives us a model, right? He creates for six days and rests. Like you even see and begin a, a, like an intentionality with that. God's choose. Like it wasn't just like random, like all this stuff happened and there we showed up. We're seeing even in God this way of doing it. Uh, the, the need of sun and, and night, of land and sea, of all these things are his, pro- like going, hey, I'm trying to make this happen for you. What if, what if we think about in rebellion? Where's God's providence in rebellion? Where's God's providence and rebellion and the rebellion of man? We think of the story of the rebellion of God. Like again, this is God's plan and interaction with his creation. That's a definition of providence. Where is his interaction in our rebellion? In the rebellion. And I'll say our rebellion, the rebellion of Adam and Eve, but it's just like ours. Yeah. Yeah. So he both said, like, you can't be here anymore. 
because you've not obeyed what I've commanded you, but I'm going to clothe you and, and you cover you. And where you're trying to cover yourself with fig leaves, and you're trying to hide yourself with, because of shame and guilt, I'm going to provide for you clothes from an animal. I'm even going to take care of you, even, out, even though he's exiled out of the garden, right? He still says, I'm going to be with you. He doesn't end it with him. So even God's timing in that goes like, hey, you've done this, but look, I've, that, that's not throwing God off. off God's not going, oh, now what do I do? You see God rubbing his head like, now what happens? Were you going to say something, Louise? I would say the provision also for redemption. Yeah. Beautiful provision, right? Beautiful providence. Listen, this has gone bad. Eve, your, this, from your seed will come one who will crush the head of the serpent, although the serpent will, will, will bite his heel, will grab his heel, right? He will crush the head. He's saying, listen, I know there's something coming. He's, he, he's already there. We can't be there yet, but he's already there. He's already into the future. So that's his providence in, in the rebellion. Think through the prov- his providence throughout the promise, right? You can think story after story, right? God's providence for his people as he leads them out of Egypt in the covenant with Abram. I mean, you can go all throughout the story, just continued time of like they, God providing uh, uh, for David and Goliath. I mean, just think of story after story. Like you think a stone used like a dude, like, I mean, I love David. He might be the best slingshotter in the whole world, right? That's God's providence right there. It's not about, God, it's not about David's slingshot abilities. It's God's providence. I'm going to use my people for my purposes. I'm going to show you up that this is what I'm doing, Right? We think that now we go to redemption. We get to the promise and fulfillment of uh, the coming Savior. Think of the timing of all of that. Everything having to line up, right? Lining up with stars that are able to be seen for shepherds about uh, uh, bringing about the birth of, or announcing the birth of Christ. Lining up with all the details of where he was born. What time, he, like how he was born. Who would know? I mean, like, this is the providence of God. Again, these things didn't just like, oh my gosh, look, these all just happened to line up on the right moments in time. It's God's hand throughout, right? And so that leads us into uh, the church, into this time in, book, in the book of Acts that we come, where God is continuing to work. Think back just simply in the story of Acts, right? Where have we seen God's providence in this, where he's showed up and done something great? Huh? Yes. The, the sermon on Mars Hill, we see even back before that, the beginning of Acts, he says what? Wait, and the Spirit's going to come. Don't go anywhere. And the Spirit came. When did the Spirit come? At the Feast of Pentecost, when everybody was going to be there. That's not a coincidence. It's like God was like, oh man, I'm glad that I showed up now when all these people were going to be here. I hope I make it there in time, right? <laughs> I hope I'm not late. No, it happened exactly when he wanted it, when he knew it was going to happen, from when the, before Adam and Eve ever sinned against him, rebelled against him. Like, God is that in tune with it. When the church needed servants for the, who, would, who would be uh, Greek-speaking and widow-sensitive people, what did God do? He found some of them in Acts chapter 6, right? When the Samaritans were ready for the gospel, what did God do? We saw this in Acts chapter 8, not that long ago. God sent Philip, right? When a a eunuch needed someone to explain Isaiah's words to him, while he's in his chariot, headed back to Ethiopia, what happens? There's Philip. 
And when he doesn't need him anymore, God's so cool, he just sends Philip to some other place. And in, in the blink of an eye, I don't even know how that happens. It's like science fiction, right? That's what's going on here. God's like, I'm moving people for my purposes and nothing else can stop that. When the Gentile world needed a Jewish-trained, Greek-speaking, energy-abundant, organized and skilled apostle, God prepared the apostle Paul and sent him in Acts chapter 9. Like all of what Saul went through in his life, God was using not to elevate Saul and say, Saul, you're an amazing person, but ultimately for his purposes that 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 man would die to himself as the apostle Paul and say, all that thing that you look at and say is great, I count it as lost because knowing God is more important. What a great testimony in that. And as we saw last week, when Aeneas needed healing and when Tabitha needed resurrection, like the timing of that, right? Peter's in the other town just nearby and they're like, wait, Tabitha's died. Let's go get him. He can do this. He just happened to be there when Aeneas can be healed. Like these things are happening. God's providence is, is, is evident. It's not luck or coincidence. I don't believe God micromanages everything that happens on the planet Earth. I don't think he's up there like, you know, like trying to do like up there with buttons everywhere, trying to push buttons all the time and hope he gets it right. That's called meticulous sovereignty. But I do believe that we perceive the hand of God's plan at times and in coordination of events. So when we see those things, like there is this way that God is both orchestrating it and yet he's not also like, I mean, I don't see God as this, this being that's like literally trying to like control everything that's going on, but yet is in control of everything that's going on. That's this crazy picture, right? Again, God's taking the things where sin and the fall and broken things are happening, where, where humans are sinning and rebelling against his way. And he's going, go, I got, I got an answer for that. I've got something better than that. Yes, it's broken, it hurts, but I have a, I have a solution. We see this uh, providential coordination in the two visions in the passage we look at today, right? One to Cornelius and one to Peter. The Spirit is at work over and over again. So I want us look to look today at God's timing and provision in these two visions. So um, uh, Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 1 through 23. I'm going to f- go back to grab verse 43 out of chapter 9 just to start us off. So if you're reading along with me, it won't, not, might not show up on the screen, or, uh, but that's where I'm started. And it said, uh, to finish off where we were last week, and he stayed in Joppa for many days uh, with Simon a tanner. Again, not to be confused, Simon Peter with another guy, Simon the tanner. Um, we'll, we'll connect this dot back here in a, in a little bit. Verse, or chapter 10, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of, of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vis- uh, in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now, uh, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with uh, one Simon, a tanner, who is, who ha- whose house is by the sea. 
And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those whom attended him. This devout soldier, this idea, this picture, just to give you clarity on that, a devout soldier is one who likely also believed uh, in, in, the, in Jesus, who attended him and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And then we move to chapter, verse nine, I mean, chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up to the, uh, on the house about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened up, something like a great sheet descending, being let down on its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius have made their inquiry uh, for Simon's house. And they stood at the gate and they called out to ask whether Simon was, uh, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering this vision. So this is, again, look at the timing of this. This vision is happening to them. They're sent. They have to get there. The timing of them showing up is Peter still being perplexed by the vision he just saw. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, he's still talking to him, hey, behold, there's three guys out there looking for you. Sorry, that was my translation. Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by hold, the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guest. And the next day he rose and went with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. What's, what we're seeing in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11 that we're coming into is that the gospel expands to the Gentiles. And 1045, it'll tell us later, uh, we'll look at this next week, uh, or in a couple weeks, we will see the Holy Spirit has been poured out even onto the Gentiles, right? What do we know from uh, Luke's uh, account of Acts 1-8, right? That the gospel will go out to Jerusalem, it will go out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're seeing it come to fruition, we're seeing this happening more and more. The gospel is going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. The ends of the earth are those Gentiles. When you hear the word Gentiles, what you need to know is that is anyone that is not a Jewish follower of Christ. So that's us. We would be Gentiles. If they are not of the family and the tribe of Israel, they are not a, um, they're, they're considered Gentiles. And so Peter becomes the coordinated agent of spreading the gospel to Gentiles. We see this first in the Gentiles' vision. Let's go back and look at that vision for a second. This is God's providence. It's who he's choosing and when he's choosing it, right? It's not just any Gentile either, right? He is a Roman. He is the Roman Empire's ever, uh, he's in charge of Rome's ever-increasing army, Right? He was a major in a major port city of Caesarea that was built by Herod the Great, and he was the ruler of up to a hundred soldiers. 
But he straddled the emperor's world, right? Because what we also know of him was that he was a follower. He was a believer in the Jewish world. So he's, he's straddling between the emperor's world and the Jewish world. Luke describes the man as civilized, who had civilized piety or a publicly respectable, respectable form of religious practice. In other words, he was following after him. He was God-fearing, it says. Which most likely means he was a convert to Judaism without circumcision. Right, so he's like following after this, like trying to follow after and do the things. We see this also. He's living after hours of these hours of prayer, right? He's, he's devoted himself to praying at certain times of the day. So that along with caring for the poor and these public hours of prayer were two of Judaism's top acts of like holiness, of righteousness. And the angel, when does the angel appear to him? In a time of prayer. That's when the angel shows up to him. So I, I, even now, it's like we find God not, not, not um, uh, deaf to our prayers. Even in the midst of this, he's searching out for this hope. God honors the Gentiles' prayer and generosity, and the angel gives him a simple task. Send servants, one of whom is a devout soldier. Again, that picture of the devout soldier is like, he's wanting to make sure this isn't just sending people to go out, but this is like, this is a Christ-centered mission. This is a God-centered mission. Like, hey, there's something about this. I need someone else who believes to be on this mission with me, to, for me. So I don't know about you, but you can cheat at this point and look and know, try to figure out what's going to happen, right? And we're going to get to what's going to happen. But imagine your way back to the life of Cornelius and, and you chose to know only and choose only to know what Cornelius knows. All the empire man knows is that uh, I need to get Peter and he doesn't have any idea what, what will happen when Peter returns. Right? So he's got to send people out and then wait for it to come back. He doesn't know what's about to happen with that. He, don't know where, he doesn't know where that is going. So let's look at Peter's vision. Peter's vision is, is a huge look into the heart of the book of Acts, right? God's desire to create and, and continue this promise that he's done, that he will, be, he will make, what did he tell Abram? That I'll make you a blessing and you'll, you'll be a blessing to others and you'll bless every nation on this earth. Again, including the Gentiles. So in Peter's vision, Peter is empowered to take steps that will only be finished off by Paul's trip to Rome. So like Peter's beginning, but Paul doesn't even get to see the finishing work of this. Paul's the one that will take this all the way into Rome. Both of them stepping into seeing the gospel go out to the Gentiles. Peter's vision, like Cornelius's, occurs while praying. There's another connection to what we see in here. Peter's hunger at the time sets the stage, Right? It's interesting that Luke is able to say, like, he's up on his roof, he's praying, and he's hungry. So I don't know about you, but if I was hungry and I was praying, I would start dreaming about food. I'd not be that. I'm already dreaming about food tonight. I know what's coming for the things gathering. I'm already imagining what this room will smell like in a few hours, right? And if we were to start praying right now, I can guarantee you, like, the thoughts are just going to happen, right? The later I go in preaching and the time we start praying, we're already starting to think about food because we're like, man, it's been a while since I've had any breakfast. I'm ready for some lunch. So Peter's hunger sets the stage, right? And, and, and for what, what this is looking like for us, the vision that Peter gets, I don't know that we fully understand how big this, this is, what this is overcoming in the life of a devout Jew, Jew of the day. 
to change their food habits is like trying to scale a 50 foot wall, a wall that's 50 foot high and 30 feet deep, like to try to get over. It's, the, it's as big as you can imagine. Like this feels impossible. This has been what everyone knows is true. And so what you're asking now, God, is for something that doesn't even seem like, uh, like you would ever allow. This seems as crazy and far-fetched as you could imagine. Food prohibited in Leviticus 11 was observed and spelled out by the time of the first century, right? So a voice told Peter who was surrounded at Simon the Tanner's house. So this is why I went back to those verse 43. Simon the Tanner. What does Simon the Tanner do? He takes care of heights. He takes care of dead things. Peter should not be, as a Jew, should not be at the, at the Tanner's house. So he's, God's already providentially brought him to a Tanner's house, <laughs> surrounded by dead things. And now it's saying, hey, all these things, here, let me show you this banquet table. Let me show you this thing's gathering feast filled with everything you could imagine that you want to eat. And he didn't want to eat, but now you're saying, you can't eat it. You can eat it, and not only can you eat it, it's going to be good for you. And not only is it going to be good for you, you're going to enjoy eating it. It's all of that. And how, for Peter who said, you can't have it, you can't have it, you can't have it, all of a sudden, like, wait, I can't. No, I can't do that. It's not lost on me that this has to happen three times for Peter to finally receive it. And even then, he's still perplexed, right? So think even of the providence of God here. It's not like, he, it's not like he's walking down the road and he gets hungry because he sees the Whataburger sign and goes, I should go get something to eat, even though I just ate breakfast. So I'll go do that, right? And so even though I know I shouldn't eat Whataburger right now, I'm going to go eat Whataburger. Like, that's not what's going on here. He's in the middle of prayer. He's, he's hungry. The Spirit of the Lord comes to him and shows him this thing. He's like, this doesn't even make sense. This can't be. I've got to push this out of my mind. The Lord goes, no, I need you to see this. I need you to see this so much. I'm going to repeat this three times to you, to remind you. So that God, even in his providence, isn't just trying to make us guess. He made it very clear. He was so clear to, to um, Cornelius that Cornelius sent the men out, right? He's so clear to Peter that Peter's like, okay, I don't understand this, but I'm going to do it. Like, whatever. Okay, God, I'm trying to figure this out. And then in the midst of that, another provision, like just a miraculous thing, is that these, these people show up in the middle of this happening. It's not as if he's been able to even rationalize it yet, right? He's not been able to come to the end of, like, that's where I would love God to do. Like, when I'm still trying to figure things out, like, God, give me the time to figure out and then move me on to what's next, right? God doesn't do that in this moment. And that's not because God wants to make it difficult, because God knows with the timing of when it needs to happen. We have to trust his timing. And so if something's happening in your life right now, and you're like, this doesn't make sense, and I don't want it to happen right now, go like, okay, what, why, what is this here for? What are you wanting to show me? How do I get to know you and your providence right now, God? My heaters went out, God. This doesn't make sense. How, what am I supposed to do with that? My car breaks down. My life's turned upside down. What do I do with that, God? You're in control. I'm coming to you. What do we usually do, though? We start like, oh, what do I micromanage? How do I start pulling the strings? I need to be, the, I need, it needs to be in my timing because I need to understand it. So we begin to try to control. We don't see this with either of them. 
Is there questioning Peter? Yes, absolutely. Is he right to question? Absolutely, because what's happening to him is literally shaking the foundations. And if this isn't from God, he doesn't want to do it. So I would call us to that same level of desire and that if you think it's from God, like keep pursuing, like, okay, God, you need to test it. Let me show it. And so God's, God's showing him how serious he is about it, that he's like, hey, there's three guys at the door. They've come for you. You need to go with them and like, okay. And ha- what's happening outside his door? There's three dudes outside waiting for him to take him to a guy. Like even the specificness of this, right? They tell, he tells Cornelius, go find uh, uh, Simon Peter. He's at Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. They go find that thing. So that's very specific. That's not just general. Go find a guy named Peter somewhere. Maybe in this other town. I don't know what's going on. He's very specific. Very intentional. What does he tell Peter, right? What does he tell Peter? He says to him, he says, uh, behold, there, uh, Peter, rise. Three men uh, are looking for you. Rise and go with them. Accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them to you. And there he goes. I mean, like, God is giving clear direction. So if we're wondering sometimes, is this him or not? Like, I, I want to say more often, like, we need to spend more time questioning, but we're just like, also, like, step in and follow. If it is God, God's going to show up on the other side. If we, show, if we take this next step and it's not him, then we're, we can go, hey, God, that's not you. God, I'm not going to follow that. I'm not going to follow you in that moment. The crazy part about this is that this is like a moment in time when a huge threshold, a, a huge moment in our world of like seeing the gospel go out is transformed and it's happening in the life of Peter and it's happening in the life of the centurion, right? And what's crossing paths here is the ability, we're beginning to see the gospel going out to a whole different group of people that most never thought it would. I think a lot of them thought like when we talk about taking to the ends of the earth, it's to the Jews that are at the ends of the earth. Those are God's people. And we're seeing now it's not just the, the, those who've been dispersed or scattered about. It's for literally for every tribe, tongue, and nation. So why the vision? It's like a, 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 what Peter acts out in the vision could be called a prophetic symbolic action. The, that is, the act of eating non-kosher food symbolizes the mission Peter is about to experience in gospeling the Gentiles. Peter's hesitations are obvious, right? Not only in his words, but in his need for God to command him to do it three times. Which seems crazy because like basically saying, Peter, you really, it's okay for you to eat barbecue. I mean, we, I would be like, yes, let's go. Like you'd say it one time, let's go do that, right? But no, this is how deeply rooted that was of his desire. Even this, his desire to obey God was that rooted in him. Can I just say the reason why we want to emphasize the story of God and being rooted and grounded in that truth of the, of the, the story of who God is and what he's done for us is that there are other things that want to take us away from that, to try to be the foundation for our lives apart from God. And when we believe in those things, those things will fall and crumble. Not the gospel, not God. He will not. Other things will look like from the outside, they're going to be better for us. They're going to give us what we want. They will not. A full bank account will not do that for us. All our needs being met will not singularly do that for us if they're not met in him. So 
Peter's hesitation here, even a reminder to us, is, is needs our respect, right? This is a challenge for them. It's a challenge for him to be able to realize what he's become. He's becoming an agent of the gospel of God to go out to people who they never necessarily thought might happen. So God coordinates two visions to two different people so that, they, so that one of them can become a paradigm of gospeling, of being able to show the gospel coming in, and one, a picture of the Gentile conversion. Hey, this is going to happen. So what do we take away from this story, these stories in the book of Acts? We go back to the reality of what we were discussing. We've been discussing it's a part of the reality of the story of God. And we talk about the true story of God is that God is going to complete his mission that every tribe, nation, and tongue will be represented in his kingdom. That is the truth. And the door is open to those who are not Jewish, right? This is the very first picture of that. It's open to all people of all times everywhere. The other is to trust God's timing. God is not late. That's hard for us to think sometimes because so much of what we do experiences has lag or late or glitches or I don't know. He's never late. He's never in a hurry. Maybe some of us need to hear that. God's not in a hurry for you to all of a sudden get and be somewhere you're not and be something you're not. God's timing is perfect. God works in our everyday life. What was happening in the Saturian, what was happening with Peter, they were just doing their everyday stuff. And God showed up in the midst of that. They're doing their normal everyday prayer and God shows up in the midst of that, right? They're doing their everyday things of what they're already doing. They weren't going about expecting something crazy. God just shows up and says, I'm going to be there, right? What is our call? Is to know his voice and obey. It's a real question for us. Can we distinguish the voice of God? Is that the voice of God or is that my hunger talking right now? I've always wondered, I mean, imagine Peter. I've always wondered what that would taste like. It sounds, looks kind of good. How do I distinguish? So if you don't know how to distinguish, I would encourage you to, the first thing, and this sounds crazy, but we must be still and listen, Right? More often than not, I think through scripture and other places, it's not through a giant vision like Peter gets. It says that Peter's baking food and he like, gets in a trance. That's what it describes it as. Like, he's like in a trance as he's like in this moment. like, well, what? like, what's going on here? That's where he's met. So for most of us, like, I don't want to get in a trance. I don't know what that's going to be like. But, but God meets him. We must be still and know. It's not the first time that God spoke to Peter either, right? God's been at work in him. God's showing him, like, speak the gospel, speak the truth here, going here. So there's a part of it that's being still and listening, slowing down, listening for the still small voice of God. So often we have our lives filled with noise and clutter in our own hearts and minds. Like, we don't want to sit down and just be still and quiet to be able to hear and listen. And the voice in our own hearts from our own souls is so heavy with all of our worries and anxiousness and burdens and anxieties that we just... We have, we have to be able to, to be still and listen. So the next part of this is to test it. How do I know? Like test, like 
If it's out, if it's if it seems like the voice of God, how do I know? Like I'm going to test it. Does it match up and line up with Scripture? If it's calling me to do something apart from what God would call me to do, then that that's a good test. Is it scripturally? Is this does this line up with who God is? Does it line up and show me that? So I test it. I can ask others. This is what God is saying to me. This is what God's calling me to do. I mean, you'll see this later on, right? For Paul, Paul knows his mission is to get is to go back to Rome, and everybody else tells him, "Don't do it." So we have to be careful even then, right? How do we know? I've got to go back to the first part. I've got to be still and know the voice of God. And if everybody's telling me not, then there's like, like that, that's a tension we've got to walk in, right? Because we know a bunch of people that say in the name of God they're doing something that's not for God. That's also our easy cop-out, right? I prayed about it. Hear somebody say that. I prayed about it and I should do this crazy thing, getting a, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt for something. What? You, got, you prayed about it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That's what God wanted me to do. Or is that just what I wanted to do, right? Because I spent a moment, I was quiet. Like, that's our easy cop-out to not let anybody come near us. I prayed about it. So asking others, and is it in line with Scripture? So this morning, my, my call for us as we look at this, at this word is to think through and recognize that God is providentially acting in our lives. He's brought us together in this time. He's brought people for this time and purpose. He's created us uniquely. Again, I go back to the beginning of that call to worship, the response of reading. And so we are gathered here uniquely in all of history. We particular people in this singular time and place. And the call from that for us is accomplish your purposes among us, O God. Would you do that? That's the call for us. God, would you do that? Would you accomplish your purposes in us today, in your timing, in your will? You've put us where we are, in the family, in the neighborhood, in the city, in, the, in this time and place for your purposes. Would we be aware of that and be open and used as your vessels for however you might do that? For whatever interactions might happen? It's impossible for, for me to tell my story without seeing the providence and hand of God in it. It's impossible to tell the story of our church without seeing that. Impossible. I, I could not orchestrate it. <laughs> impossible. It is only explained by that. And that is in the case when we look back and go, okay, God, you're doing something. I want to continue to follow you wherever you lead us. So that's where, in the same place, God's called us, same thing, to the Gentiles, to the world around us that need to hear this good news. Will we be those same missionaries trusting in this timing? And so today, if things are great and awesome, and you're looking around going, God, I love it. Thank you so much for this. Rest in his timing and provision that God's giving you this for this time for a purpose. God, what is that for? Because what we typically do when things are good is go, oh, great, everything's great. I'm just going to keep going on my way and not really think and ask God, what do I need to be doing right now? If things are at rock bottom and horrible, the question is for us to go back and go, okay, God, I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what's going on here. Help me out here. I need you here. I need to see you here. I need you with me here. That's... God's with his people in the wilderness, in the desert. He's not left us alone. In fact, that's where we actually get to be the closest to him, right? That's when I feel him most near, is when I'm in the most need. When I'm all good. I don't, I'm just like, oh, okay, it's great. 
Let's trust God's timing in our life. Let's work to know and be still and listen to his voice. Let me pray for us.